0: This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play. 13 seconds left. Coleman looking to grab it. Dano trying to center it. Knocking it away. Yadigord, he clears it. He clears it. I don't think this is going to be an icing. No. Three seconds left. Petrie, a final shot. The Lightning have done it.
1: They have done it. They They have gone back to back for the second year in a row. Wow. They have won the Stanley Cup.
2: Welcome, 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 Friday edition of Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. I am Greg Lanelli, along with the man you just heard, the radio voice of the Lightning, Dave Mishkin, along with Steve Versnick. We've got a big show planned for you. I mean, it's a big show every day, folks. (laughs) I I become repetitive, Dave, when I say these things. But, you know, it is a big show. We are going to replay Elliot Friedman towards the second half of the show from SportsNet. We had him on a couple of days ago, heading into... The expansion draft and the list that needs to be submitted and then the fans getting an opportunity to see who's protected and who's not this weekend. We thought it was just a, another good time to replay what he had to say and some good insight that he did have. So we will play him towards the second half of the show. Eric Erlinson will be coming up in about 10, 15 minutes as well. We'll get his thoughts on the expansion draft and anything else that uh, is on E's mind. And, of course, taking your questions as well. We still have a few coming in at Bolts Radio. Hit us up on Twitter, at Greg Lanelli at Dave Mishkin. And Dave, it's good to be with you. And a- as you can imagine, there's still a lot of talk about lists for the expansion draft, who to keep, who not to keep. A lot of people still weighing in on uh, Twitter and Facebook. I actually got a Facebook message, Dave, from a, uh, a Lightning fan. They were listening to the show yesterday. It was our good friend Cody Gage. He said, don't forget, at minimum, Braden Point already qualifies at 9.5 AAV because of his current deal because of how the restricted free agency status works. I did not know that. I would have to go back and look at
0: that. I I did, but the bottom line is that his salary is going to be what his salary is going to be, and and I don't think anyone expected that it would be lower than that. Did you? I mean, that's what Kucherov makes. Yes. So— the real question is, is it going to be that or is it going to be more than that? And if it's more than that, how much more? I think that's a fair but that's, question. We have time to get into that. <laughs> that is that is a conversation for down the road, for sure. There are other things that are more bubbling in the pot right more imminently, I would say.
2: So let's, let's get into now that we've had a couple of days here to kind of rethink things, because I know I certainly have gone back and forth with... I go back and
0: forth by, if not the hour, then maybe by
2: a.m. to p.m. So let me just say this. (laughs) So I I think I revised my list after listening to Elliot and a few others talk about they would probably keep Ford Fenceman, and a lot of that made sense. However, I am old school, and I'm going to go back to your first instinct, your first inclination. Typically, that's always the most sound or the one that you can live with the best. I'm going to go back to what I originally said, Dave, and I'm going to say, you know what? At the end of the day, for me, I had said seven, three, one. Yeah. That was leaving McDonough exposed. If Seattle wants to go about it and pluck him, you know what? You're going to lose a good player in this draft regardless, maybe some bigger than others, but after further review, I'm going back to 7-3-1. That's kind of where I'm gonna land. I don't know how you feel about any of all this.
0: well, I don't know that i'm I'm any farther along in terms of clarity on on the seven three and one or eight and one for me, although maybe I am as as you hear what i'm what I'm gonna talk about, which I have been spending some time thinking about since our last show, and I think first of all is is one development I'm seeing around the league, and then the other is. We have spent a lot of time looking at, at, at all of this from the Lightning's perspective, almost myopic, if you will, looking at it like, what should the Lightning do? Who can they afford to lose? How do they replace? Maybe they can't afford to lose anyone, but you know, how do they replace that player? And we have not spent nearly as much time, understandably so, thinking about it from the Seattle perspective. So this is what I have kind of been thinking about since our last show and the two elements tie together. The first element is, and this is, I believe, a difference from 2017 in Vegas. We are seeing teams, you mentioned it yesterday with Vince Dunn, Greg, that St. Louis may be looking to package Vince Dunn in part because he's fallen out of favor, that's what you cited in that article that, that Jeremy Rutherford wrote. But also that there are other three defensemen that they want to protect, do not include Done, and they don't want to lose him for nothing. So better to trade him and, and get something for him rather than losing him potentially to Seattle for nothing. But there's another element in there that was left out, which happened a lot four years ago, which is if, if St. Louis really wanted to keep Vince Dunn and they were concerned about not protecting him, they could make a deal with Seattle. But they're not interested in doing that right and we saw with ryan graves yesterday ryan graves essentially was the and ryan graves is a really good player for colorado but colorado has to go seven three and one based on their their excellent stable of forwards and they have three other defensemen they want to protect they were concerned about losing ryan graves in the expansion draft so they traded him to new jersey and they got something in return But the the unanswered question there is like, why did they not make a deal with Seattle? To say, don't take Ryan Graves and we'll give you assets. And I think that this is the way the wind is starting to blow. Now, we heard Julian Breezebaugh say, I'm open to making a side deal with Seattle. But we've also heard that Ron Francis is is asking for exorbitant prices. Or, you know, the cost of doing a deal with Seattle would be exorbitant. That was a quote that Pierre LeBron had. And I just think that maybe not every team, but we're seeing much more this time around, teams are not playing ball with Seattle. They're not. Like, you know what? If I'm going to lose this player, rather than giving Seattle a bunch of draft picks and prospects for them not to take this player, I'm just going to trade that player and get something for him. Right. And, and we'll see if this trend continues, but the Graves one really jumped out at me when I saw, you know, the Avalanche were concerned that they couldn't protect Graves. So they traded him like, well, why didn't they do a side deal with Seattle? Maybe they, maybe they investigated it and they're like, no way. No way. Too bad, Seattle. We're trading Graves to the East. We're sending them to the Devils. We're getting something in return. So when we look at things from the Seattle perspective, what are, what are the challenges facing Seattle as an expansion team? Well, we know that they're gonna have an incredible fan base and a lot of support as every new franchise does, right? And that we talked about, Seattle's a great market for sports. But they have some pressure on them right off the bat. And the pressure is, is being applied in part because Vegas did so well four years ago. Yes. So if Seattle comes out of the gates horribly, there are going to be the inevitable comparisons. Well, why didn't you do as well as Vegas in your first year? So I think there's pressure on Seattle to get off to a good start, not just at the beginning of the season, but but their franchise get off to a good start and do well. They have pressure to try and get good players in the expansion draft so that they can get off to a good start. I think that they do probably feel – the impetus to try and maximize as much as they can what they can get out of the expansion draft meaning that picks and prospects like vegas did and then lastly and steve made this point it was a great one yesterday when he talked about the vegas approach was they added some salary but not term which gave them flexibility so that they were able to to fulfill their cap requirements but if it was a swing and a miss or maybe a, a foul ball, like it wasn't it wasn't a player who necessarily fit great with them, then they weren't on the hook for for three, four, five years at significant dollars. So if in fact Seattle is not able to maximize all the extras, all the extra goodies that Vegas got, and they are looking at Basically, these are the players that we're getting through the expansion draft and, and not much else. What are they going to look to to add? What sort of players? I think they're going to look to add impact players who don't have a lot of term. And if we, if we then bring this back to the Lightning, I may be wrong on this, Greg, but that would make, I think, the prospect of them taking Ryan McDonough less likely. He's so an impact saying, player, but he's got five years left on his yeah. contract at 6.75. If you're Seattle, do you want to roll the dice on that? That's, that's the point. That's
2: a great point.
0: Because- and then the other one is Ross Colton, who's yes. at the other end of the spectrum. So Colton doesn't cost a lot, obviously, and you have flexibility in terms of term. But are you confident? Are you certain that Ross Colton is going to come in and make an immediate impact on your team? So that you can, if not reach the level that Vegas reached, which is going to be a tall order, get into the Cup final your first year. But are you confident that this is this is the player off the Lightning that will give you the most bang on the ice? And I don't know. I, I you could probably. So this is where my head is going. Like we're looking at this from the Lightning's perspective. Lightning want to keep Ross Colton. He's a really good young player with some cost certainty on his contract like we better protect him you you protected him on your mock list and i think the question is like would seattle choose ross colton over a different player who's farther along in his career trajectory and would they choose a player like ryan mcdonough who is very far along in his career trajectory but has significant financial obligations that will carry way beyond year one and year two. Let me tell you this. under. This I mean, you scenario, can tell me what you
2: think if I'm off base on this, not. that's makes kind a lot of what I was thinking about. Here's, here's something before we get to Eric. Here's something to play around with even more. If you go by the Model 7, 3, and 1 and you leave McDonough exposed, look at all the forwards, Dave, who are regulars that you can protect, though. And, and, and I had Colton on my original list. Let's say I didn't.
0: Here's maybe you do th- want
2: to protect Colt, But maybe though. I do. But let, let's yeah. let's pl- play this game for a little bit here. L- right. Look at the players who I've protected. Kucherov and Stamko's obvious. Point, Palat, Gord, Sorelli, and Coulorn. The only forwards who have been a regular that you exposed would be Tyler Johnson. I mean, I guess you could throw Pat Maroon in there, but there's no chance he gets selected. Matthew Joseph, Ross Colton, and then on your back end, you've got Ryan McDonough, and what? Cal Foote would be a, you know another sexy choice. Right. But Dave, you almost would force Seattle to go term with McDonough or a player who doesn't have as much of a track record in Joseph and Colton. because That's that really what they, I
0: was saying. Not to yeah. say that... If they picked Ross Colton, just for the sake of argument, Ross Colton might go there and have a great career in Seattle. He may. But Seattle has pressure on it. The Lightning have pressure <laughs> to get cap compliant. Seattle has a ton of pressure to get this thing right. They get one crack at this expansion draft. And if, in fact, they're not getting all the extra goodies. And and look, maybe the Lightning will do a side deal. Maybe there will be some teams that do side deals. But my eyes were open with that Graves trade. Yeah, I was like, "Holy cow!" Because Ryan Graves is a really good player. Yeah, you like And you could lot, see yeah. Colorado being like, "You know what? We really need to figure out a way to keep Ryan
2: Graves. We are we are on the cusp here." But you know what? Of winning you know, a cup, maybe. You know what this option does? I think it pigeonholes Seattle in many ways. Their options are pretty limited. I mean, you're going from one extreme to the other in terms of who you could pick. I'm not saying they're not good players. They obviously are but they come with a little baggage. McDonough, you've got all of that term, and you don't know what his play is going to be like maybe three years into that contract. And if you're about to trade him during that time, what's the value you're going to get in return? And then the other end of that spectrum at the forward position, you're talking about Colton and Joseph, who are relatively unproven, and then Tyler Johnson, who, let's face it, the Lightning wanted to have somebody else take before the season started. So think about those options. And then understand that Dave, the flip side to protecting all of those regulars, even if they can't keep them all, and I think we all agree they probably can't, but let's say they protect them. If they lose McDonough, that doesn't mean you can't trade one of those guys for a defenseman.
0: True. Well, here's the other thing that popped into my head, and this is this is a super down the road like a bunch of hypotheticals, which I don't like, but you do. So I'm going to pose this question to you. <laughs> you
2: do, Greg. Go ahead. All
0: right. So assuming the Lightning goes 7-3-1 and, and don't protect McDonough, and assuming Seattle takes McDonough, do you think the Lightning would then try and get David Savard re-signed? At, at a number that would I would presume would be less than McDonough's. Now, whatever Savard Perhaps. made last year... And, again, the Lightning only had a quarter of the commitment for what was left on his contract. But if you're freeing up the dollars that are allocated toward McDonough, understand you need to free up more dollars. Perhaps. But do you then go try and negotiate an extension with Savard so that you're saying, all right, we lost McDonough, and Savard looked like he was settling in 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 the playoffs? I think we're in agreement on that. Yeah, now you've no. got Chernak, Savard on the right, Sergachev and Hedman on the
2: left. I think I think that that makes a lot of sense. That's, that's a, I, lot of know, a lot of hypotheticals, and I don't mean to jump way down the road. I, but, a lot of that's going to determine on what they have flexibility wise, but I, yeah, I think, and what
0: Savard is looking for because sure. I mean that's he's on the right as a UFA.
2: And yes, and that's why I said the That's why I said if you protect all of those forwards, the greatest asset you have now is that you can get somebody in return in addition to shedding salary. So. Let's, for instance, Joe Smith was going back and forth on Twitter about how he feels like Pallott probably could net you the most. And we had talked about, you know, with yeah, he got term. that from Craig Button, by okay. the way, in the article okay. that it came out today. And, 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 and that's fine. And if that's the case, and if you feel like Pallott is your most attractive chip, and it also can get you a need in the organization, which would be a younger defenseman, maybe somebody's willing to pull a, a, the trigger on that. But. By protecting those forwards, Dave, I think it gives you more options to not only replace a McDonough from the standpoint of the position and position flexibility, but it also frees up some cap space, which is what Julian Breezewa needs to do. So I, I think if you don't protect McDonough and you protect all of the forwards that I had just mentioned, I think it restricts who Seattle can take. I actually think... McDonough would be the one that you'd probably feel the most, but you're gonna you're gonna feel that way with whomever they take. I think you're gonna you're gonna feel it because you're gonna lose a good player. So I think you have to come to that come to that belief. But I think by protecting all those forwards, it gives you a better option of finding a replacement for a McDonough in addition to shedding some salary. And I think that that kills two birds with one stone It doesn't mean it's gonna happen that way. But the more I'm thinking about it, that might be the route I would probably go. We'll talk to Eric about this when we come back. I want to get his thoughts on it because I think he's thinking along the same wavelength. I don't know if he's reached the same conclusion, but we'll kind of go from there as well. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linnelli. We've got Eric Erlinson from LightningInsider.com up next on Lightning Power Play lightning
1: fans
0: the bolts are back-to-back champs score your official 2021 stanley cup champions gear by visiting one of our tampa bay sports locations at amelie arena international plaza or online at tampabaysports.com this is power lunch exclusively on lightning power play on the iheart radio
2: app so glad you're with us on a friday I am Greg Lanelli along with Dave Michigan. Steve Ersnick producing and joining us right now. You know, folks, look, he's a busy man. He's on vacation, and we bothered him from vacation. Now, the fact that he took our call, I don't know what that says about him, but it says that we want him on the airwaves, and that would be our good friend from LightningInsider.com, Eric Erlinson E. How are you, buddy? You okay? I-
3: I'm good. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm I'm good. I'm still trying to recover from... Uh the playoff run and it's good to kind of get away from it for a few days and, and refresh. But, uh, you know, Greg, when you texted me, I was like, hell yeah, I'm coming on." There's no worries. Well, you're the it's man. It's not and- like,
0: it's not like we asked you to fly back to Tampa on family vacation to give Nikita Kucherov an injection. <laughs> right? Well, you know like what he said? Doctor did.
2: Eric, Eric immediately <laughs> texted when I asked him to do that. That's number one BS, Greg. And that's exactly <laughs> what he told us. And I appreciate that about him. I appreciate that about him. <laughs> Hey, before Mish comes in and asks gets the ball rolling here, I'm curious. You you've covered this team a long, long time. Have we seen a a player erupt with this type of off the ice personality than Nikita Kucherov? I feel like this is really becoming, and I can't think of an NHL player that's that's done this the last couple of years, really.
3: No, like it's it's not even a hesitation. Um, usually, you know, you kind of get to know the guys a little bit and talking to them and in the room and in interviews, and then certainly Dave knows that. Um, but not not to this extent, like, you know, even, even when Nikita Kucherov first came up, very quiet, very reserved, didn't really say much to the media. We know some of his, uh, shall we say, short discussions with uh, interviews, especially with the cameras around uh, at certain times. Uh, but to see a guy who is so open uh, after celebrating you know, what was, it was especially after last year's vote parade and, you know, what we saw from last year. And then, of course, now the epic post-game uh, situation. It, it's it's really, you know, it's good to see. I love it. I love it. You know, it's it's kind of like not quite like Andre Vasilevsky, but Andre Vasilevsky is very quiet, right? Like we've seen that in the interviews with him. But he is probably one of the funnier guys on the team, but he just never lets that come out uh, in his interviews. Uh, the barrier, uh, language barrier probably has a lot to do with that, but – you know, to see Nikita Kucherov go from this quiet, didn't-really-talk kind of guy to now having T-shirts printed with his phrases on it uh, <laughs> is quite remarkable, and uh, and I love it. I love to see that kind of stuff. We need to see more of that, uh, especially in hockey. guys are very reserved for the most part, uh, and I'm here for it.
0: Eric, we're going to get into the protected list for the Lightning, but in the first segment, I talked a little bit about the challenges for Seattle and, and the pressures that are on Seattle. And, and the one move that really caught my eye yesterday was Colorado trading Ryan Graves to New Jersey and they got something in return. And, and what I said to Greg in the first segment was, you know, four years ago, probably what seemed to happen a lot and what might've happened four years ago, if Colorado were in that boat would be, they would say, we want to keep Ryan Graves, who's a really good player. And we're going to make a side deal with Seattle and give up something else so we can keep Ryan Graves. And Colorado did not do that. And I'm just wondering, do you think that the the pickings are going to be less ripe for Seattle in terms of all the extra goodies that Vegas got? Understanding, like Julian Breezeball said, I'm open to doing a side deal with Seattle if, and maybe a lot of teams feel that way, but at the end of the day, do you think that Seattle is going to, come out of this expansion draft mostly with the players they pick in the expansion draft and not a lot of extras that they're getting from from other teams based on what we we saw with the Graves deal and maybe some other some other considerations that teams have have talked about leading into the expansion
3: draft you definitely get that sense Uh, I I think a lot of GMs saw what George McPhee did with Vegas uh, you know a few years back and how he was able to kind of build a team that look, we all thought it was an expansion team. There's no way in the world that they're going to have a, any kind of success. You know, if they have a 500 season, that's good for them and end up going on to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, and and, be, and it was because of a lot of those side deals that, that McPhee was able to pull off. And then, they, you, you know, you fast forward here to four years later and you see what Ron Francis, the GM in Seattle, every time you hear somebody ask about, well, what's going on with this, you know, you hear the word exorbitant in terms of, what he's asking for to make some of these side deals. And I think GMs around the league are going to be a little bit more weary in this situation. Um, You know, and I think that the Ryan Graves deal kind of kicks that off a little bit uh, in terms of, you know, rather than losing Graves to Seattle and and maybe, and look, I'm sure that, uh, you know, Colorado had talks with Seattle about, okay, if we did this, would you keep Ryan Graves? Would you leave him alone? Would you, would you, you know, do something else. And if the prices were that exorbitant, then Colorado probably felt they had to go this route, right? To to find a, a different trade partner to at least gain assets from a player that you figure that you're probably going to lose in an expansion draft. So uh, there's there's a lot of pressure, I think, on on Ron Francis and his staff there, uh, to try and live up to anything close to what Vegas was able to do. Uh, and I think that uh, Ron Francis is trying to make that happen. But uh, I just don't see GMs so willing to part ways with uh, extra assets to protect players uh, on their roster or beyond the protection list uh, to make it happen um, and it, it will be interesting because we know how just as, as a trade deadline comes around with those protected lists uh, being due on Saturday tomorrow and then made public on Sunday if there's if the did the prices drop on Ron Francis's end anything like that so some of it's a game of chicken too.
2: Eric Rollinson from lightninginsider.com joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play E. I've heard and read over the last couple of days how the Lightning wants to really go for a three-peat, and that's the reason you keep Ryan McDonough. Elliot Friedman said it on our show on Sportsnet just a couple of days ago. In addition to how well he played, we know what he brings inside that locker room. But what I'm not hearing enough about is that if you expose Yanni Gord there's a good chance you lose your third line completely. My question is, at this point, does keeping Gord make more sense than keeping McDonough? Understanding you're going to lose a really good player regardless, I'm just curious, when you take a look at the third line, there's a chance it's completely wiped out this year.
3: Yeah, I I don't envy Julian Breezeblah and his staff here in, in what they're trying to put together ahead of their protectivist uh, deadline, because... You know, there's many routes that you could go. Um, you know, Ryan McDonough, we saw how much he meant. I mean, I, I gave Ryan McDonough a third-place con Smythe vote for the playoffs. I thought he was that good throughout the entire play- – that's a guy who didn't score a goal in the postseason, right? But he always seemed to be in the middle of everything that Tampa Bay had going on. Um, you know, so you see his value and his importance. And, you know, this is – it was kind of interesting to me when I was looking this up before I wrote what I did the other day that Ryan McDonough's contract lasts the longest of any defenseman on the team, which probably shouldn't surprise me, but it did a little bit uh, just because, I, I, you know, Victor Hedman signed that eight-year deal, um, you know, and then McDonough signs the extension. Um, it, it's hard to fathom, you know, exposing Ryan McDonough, but if you're Seattle, do you take a 32-year-old with $6.75 million cap hit for the next five years? Uh, you know, are you going down that route if you're Seattle? Uh, so there's a risk if you – Um, you know, if you do expose Ryan McDonough, uh, and then obviously if, if you're going to expose McDonough, that means you're going the eight skater route rather than the seven skater or seven forwards and three defenseman route, uh, which again, makes it interesting. So do you want to protect your defensive depth? Do you want to protect your forward depth? Because if you go four, four defensemen, Yanni Gord is going to be exposed because you're protecting Stamkos, Kucherov, Point, and Sorelli in my mind. Uh, so then that then does expose Yanni Gord. And look, if, if you're Ron Francis and that's the scenario and, and you take a Yanni Gord, do you have conversations with both Blake Coleman and Barclay Goodrow, uh, assuming they hit the UFA market and say, hey, do you want to keep you know this line together? Come to Seattle. Let's talk. Uh, you know, that's that would be interesting to me. Uh, but it, it, it is a difficult decision no matter which route Tampa Bay goes because uh, they don't have the overall depth on D that they do at the forward group. But yet the the group the forward group uh, has a lot of depth that's going to take a hit, um, you know, going into this. So it, it's it's a tough decision for for the Lightning here to decide which route they're going to go. And uh, I am very interested and curious to see which route that is.
0: Eric, you wrote a projection where you did have the Lightning going the seven three and one route, and I'm just wondering. Like, do you feel it's a priority to include Ross Colton as one of your seven forwards if you are going that route? Because either you you don't want to lose him to Seattle, well, that would be the main reason, but also the, the argument for not putting him on the list is you want to protect the guys that you may then need to have to trade, but you can get assets for them later. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, would you put Colton yeah. on there to protect Colton, or would you not put him on there to make sure you're protecting guys that you may be looking to trade later?
3: Yeah, it was an interesting thought, to you know, because we know the Lightning are in cap trouble. They're already over the cap here, you know, before the season even gets underway, before free agency even gets underway. So we know they're going to have to part ways with probably two, if not three, players who are making some salary. So – do you expose some of those players and sort of force Seattle to try and and go down that route and maybe protect a Colton or a Joseph, depending on which route you want to go and and leave, you know, that group of $5 million exposed and Palat and Tyler Johnson and Alex Kalorn and and Yanni Gordon, that group there. Um, And then, and then keep a hold of those, some, some of those younger players who, as you said, Dave, are going to have to step in and take some of these roles, uh, assuming, the players we think are going to be gone um it, it's it's a it's an interesting thought uh at the end of the day um i think you have to find a way um, to try and force seattle to take some salary off your hands because what seattle does in terms of taking a player off the lightning's roster is going to set up how julian has to approach his his summer his offseason here um because if if seattle takes one of these younger players, I mean, look we're, we're not even talking about Cal foot, right? like there's probably no chance that Calfoot is protected here and he's going to be exposed. What if Seattle takes a Cal foot off your roster and then all of a sudden you still have all these these players with with term and and money that you have to shed to open up salary cap space. So if Seattle does take a younger player, it makes it a little bit more difficult for Julian to you know shed some of that salary where the other way, if they take a five million dollar plus player, well, then that kind of makes it a little bit easier on you. So if I'm Julian, uh, I, I'm probably looking at a way to try and protect some of my younger assets if I can uh, and try and make a way for Seattle to just as Steve Eisman did in 2017, that deal that he pulled off uh, for a second round pick in uh, Akita Gusev for Vegas to take Jason Garrison because they had some cap, um, not not to this extent, but they had some cap issues back then as well. Uh, So I think Julian has to find a way, and I don't know if that means giving up assets or not, um, to try and and find a way for Seattle to take one of your players. uh, And, you know, I know Tyler Johnson is certainly going to be talked about quite a bit because of the connection to the state of Washington. Uh, So if you can find a way to make that work, if you're Julian, I, I think you need to explore that route as much as you can.
2: You, you might be righty. And I, I went back, and I, I'm going to submit my final list here, and we talked about it in the first segment. I basically had Hedman, Sergachev, and Chernak originally being protected. And then I said, you know what? I had Colton protected, but I went this route. I went Cooch, Stammer, Points, Palat, Gord, Sorelli, and Kulorn. And my thinking was I'm almost putting Seattle in a little bit of a bind because – McDonough, out of all of the guys left exposed, is probably the most talented, I would think, at least the most attractive. And if he gets picked, yeah, you lose a a really good defenseman, but it also frees up some cap space. Mm -hmm. But it also affords me the opportunity to protect all the forwards I want in case I want to make a couple of trades to get value back. So for me, it's not only shedding salary if I protect all of those forwards, and that is a big deal. But it protects me that if I do lose Ryan McDonough, you know, there is a chance if I have to trade a Pallott or a colorn maybe I get a younger defenseman in the system who I control his rights for an extended period of time. St. Louis is talking about getting rid of Vinny Dunn. I'm not saying that's the matchup there. But somebody like that where you're not left completely out of the loop on your back end if McDonough is chosen— because you've protected yourself in a way that allows you to keep those forwards, but also at the same time, if you have to trade them, you're shedding cap space, but you're also getting assets in return at a reduced cost. And I feel like that's a big deal.
3: You're right. Uh, it could actually be that way. And look, that's that's probably if if I was Julian, that's probably the route that I would I would go. I would probably want to protect as many of your forwards as you can. Uh, because you can maybe make trades and, and look, the trade market is going to be, uh, I, I think, from everything you're hearing more open this year than it was last year. There was so much uncertainty uh, after the you know, the bubble season was completed back in September. Nobody knew when they were going to play, if they were going to play, what were revenues going to look like. At least now you have a little bit more of an understanding of how things uh, could happen. Uh, going into this season. So I think the trade market's going to open up a little bit. That's going to allow Julian some opportunities maybe to explore some of those routes. Now I I will say this after, after what I did write in the different scenarios the other day, uh, I was told by one source that uh, it it looks like Tampa Bay is actually leaning towards going the uh, the eight skater route and actually protecting Ryan McDonough because I think there, there might be actually a little concern that they would lose McDonough in that situation, because if you do want to go for it, and they do, and they have the top end talent to do it. They got the goalie to do it. Uh, you're going to have hopefully a healthy Victor Hedman, um, uh, you know, on your roster all year. Um, that they they actually end up could go the the four and four route or the eight skater route uh, because they actually don't want to lose Ryan McDonough in that situation, which makes things a little bit more interesting.
0: A guy we've spent a lot of time talking about over the last year plus has been Tyler Johnson, both because the the atmosphere in the trade market is different this off season as opposed to last off season. And the fact that the Johnson had a really good playoff. Do you think there is a greater likelihood that the lightning, if they try and move him would be able to just move him or this notion that they still need to add a sweetener to, to, to try and get a team to take him is, is that still an effect? Or do you think that both his performance in the postseason? and the fact that, like you said, you may get a couple of teams interested in Johnson based on the market this year that would wipe out the potential for a sweetener. Like, what do you think about Well,
3: his, Yeah, his play in the playoffs certainly, if you want to say a bolstered his, um, his stock, if you will. Uh, there's no doubt. I mean, he looks so much better in the postseason than he did during the regular season. Look, and, I, and I've said it before, he looks so much more comfortable at center than trying to put him as a, as a top six winger, he just didn't look the same type of player, you know, and, and John Cooper came out and talked about that, um, you know, in the Stanley Cup final when Alex Colong was hurt and they had Johnson up for game two and then moved him back to fourth line center uh, for game three uh, and produced like, had yeah, those two goals in game three, um, you know, but there's no doubt that uh, his name is going to attract a lot of attention. But I do think at the end of the day, other general managers understand What Tampa Bay is up against and look, you've got some who were probably still bitter about the way that Julian and his staff were able to maneuver their way through the salary cap this year and keep the team together with Nikita Kucherov's injury situation, uh, who I still have some bitterness. I mean, look, there were three general managers that left Andre Vasilevsky off the Vezina Trophy voting, which still surprises me uh, right now. Uh, so if, if you're one of those GMs, you're probably saying, nah, I, I, look, if you want to send me a first round draft pick, yeah, I'll take Tyler Johnson as well. Uh, so I, I would have to think that for the most part, it's probably going to be a situation where they still have to add in a sweetener, um, you know, to, for lack of a better phrase, to try and make a deal like that happen. Because uh, I just don't see as, as good and as much as Tyler Johnson rebounded, I don't think it's going to be a demanding market for him. Uh, I think there are there would be teams interested, and Julian did say in the off season last year that you know they there were three or four teams that were interested in Tyler Johnson before um, you know leading up to the trade deadline last year, and then some you know during some conversations during the bubble, but with the uncertainty they backed off of that, uh, and the fact that now you know Tyler has three years left on his contract rather than four makes it a little bit more palp- uh, palpable for other teams to kind of look at. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, to, to kind of answer your question, Dave, in a long-winded way, I think that they're going to have to find a way to add in something if they want to move Tyler Johnson because teams are not going to be looking to do any favors for a team that's just won the a consecutive Stanley Cup.
2: The last question for you here with Eric Rollinson from lightninginsider.com. Is there a trade uh, involving a player we're not talking about who has a chance to be gone, you know, is Anthony Sorelli or Kyle Foote somebody that could be dealt? You know, we talk about Yanni Gord and his contract. I don't know. Can you make a case Gord basically does what Sorelli does? He's just a little bit older. And uh, is there something we're not thinking about that could be on the table that may surprise us?
3: For sure. For sure. Because if if you feel you're going to lose an asset, um, you know, because you're losing an asset to Seattle for nothing right at the end of the day. And we know that whoever Seattle takes is probably going to be a quality player. So, you know, Julian, I'm sure has a feel for how things might go and and how things might look, uh, you know, come uh, Wednesday when the expansion draft is held. So if he has that, there's no doubt. If he, if he feels that, you know, Cal foot is somebody that Seattle really kind of covets and maybe really likes, and you know, that you don't really have a choice. You're not going to be able to protect him on that list. Does it make sense to try and trade him for you know other assets? There's no doubt that that's something that Julian would explore, and and, and certainly a route that he he could go down. Um, you know I know Sorelli's name has been bantered around a lot, but boy, they're so high on what he what he can can bring, and you know he was having such a great year to start this season offensively. We all know what he can do in the other end, but offensively he had you know he was a point of game player until he had the injury that kept him out for a couple of weeks. Um, you know, so I, I, I don't see them moving a player like Sorelli. Um, you know, I could see them moving a guy like Gord. Uh, I could see them. I mean, look, Andre Pallotta has one year left on his contract. Uh, that's certainly a route that you could kind of go down uh, potentially as well. So uh, it, nothing surprises me in this game. I mean, you, know, you, you, you get hit with uh, unexpected deals out of the blue, including some that, you know, get announced at 3 a.m. as the Braden Coburn deal did a number of years back. Uh, In the trade with Philadelphia, so um, yeah, expect the unexpected because there's an organization here to protect as a whole. Uh, And you know, even if it was a player that just helped you win, you know, back-to-back Stanley Cups, uh, you have to kind of separate the on-ice from the off-ice side. And I think Julian's really good at being able to kind of take some of the emotion out of it when you're trying to analyze and, and look at things.
2: You mean it's not one of those things where we can protect all our good players and expose all our bad ones, and that's who Seattle's going to take, and that's what they should do because yep. a lot of fans get excited about uh, all of that. We appreciate it, E. Great stuff as always. Subscribe, LightningInsider.com. E, you got to get back to vacation, buddy. I apologize.
3: Nah, it's get no back worries, there. man. This is uh, I, I'm just enjoying some cooler temperatures up here.
2: All right, Eric Gerlinson from lightninginsider.com. Again, subscribe to his wonderful website. All right, when we return, we are going to let you listen to the Elliot Friedman interview we did a couple of days ago as we get you set for the expansion draft and some interesting things Elliot had to say in that interview. It's up next on Lightning Power Play. Hey, it's Seth Kushner from The Block Party, and our season has come to an end the only way
3: we know how recently with the Stanley Cup Championship, and I had on the GM that helped put it all together, JBB Julian Brieslaw. We talk about what boat he was on during the parade, Julian breaks down the Dennis Savard trade, and I find out if he's a young gravy fan. That's The Block Party with Seth Kushner wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app.
2: Joining us right now, one of the best hockey insiders in the business. We've had him on the show before from Sportsnet. Let's welcome to the broadcast, Elliot Friedman. Elliot, great to be with you again. And I tell you what, let's get to that hard-hitting question. Let's get it out of the way. More impressive to you. Nikita Kucherov's performance on the ice over the last two seasons or Kucherov's performance off the ice the last two seasons?
1: I think for a lot of us, it's probably uh, Kucherov's performance off the ice. Like You know, <laughs> you guys know him better than we do. He doesn't like to talk to the media a lot. So we really didn't even know he had a personality. And now we've seen what kind of personality he's got uh, for multiple days in a row. And um the NHL need a villain and number 86 has decided he's going to be it.
0: Well, Elliot, I do want to get to an offseason question that is forefront in the minds and hearts of lightning fans, because the lightning are going to have some some roster issues to deal with some cap issues to deal with. Without a crystal ball, do you have a sense of how all of this is going to unfold over the next weeks and months?
1: Well the first thing I'd say is that one of the things about the lightning is they're really good at keeping secrets. Um, you know Iserman was was phenomenal at it before. he was he hated when anything got out um, when uh, when before he wanted it to get out and and Brisebois is very similar. The lightning are very good at internalizing their thoughts and you know releasing things uh, as they see fit. Now, you know last summer, um, you know, Tampa was in position where they could wait for a while before doing what they needed to do. Um, and then when Kucherov had his injury, you know, that, you know there's, it's Lou Lamorello's old saying, if you have time, use it. And the Lightning used their time last year. This is going to be a lot harder because we've got the expansion draft and immediately you guys are going to have an issue. Um, you know, one of the things that I'd heard is that, um, you had, you guys had talked to Seattle about what it would take to do what you want. And that is to protect, um, you know, a Chernak, a McDonough, a gourd, you know, basically depending on what you guys decided that you were going to do, um, it was how are we going to make sure that we don't lose a player that we really don't want to lose? Like, you know, you heard breeze yesterday. Um, you know, he, how glowingly he talked about guys like Coleman and Goodrow. I think he recognizes however, that he may not be able to keep those guys. I think Tampa has identified a core and that core is Vasilevsky, Hedman, McDonough, sergachev chernak um kucherov um uh, obviously point i think i think palat is probably you know they'd love to keep him if they could um you know what what do we got to do here to make sure we can i think gord is that i think Kalorn is that and obviously stamko's there with the no move clause too I I think those are the guys that they identify and say we really have to make sure we keep those guys. So I think the number one item of business is uh, I think he's trying to figure out how he has to deal with Seattle to make sure that he doesn't lose a Gord or a Chernak or a McDonough. And And I think that's his first task right now.
2: Wow, that's that is very interesting because it's funny you mentioned that, Elliot. We cap friendly, as you know, you can do your Seattle expansion draft simulator, and I went mm-hmm. with the Lightning going seven, three, and one, meaning mm-hmm. seven forwards, three defensemen, and obviously Vassy. And I actually had McDonough unprotected for the simple fact his age and cap hit, and I'm not sure he can play at the level he played at these playoffs for the remainder of the next, let's say, couple of years. And again, that cap hit at 6.7. Mm-hmm. Do you get the sense that, unlike we saw with Vegas, where teams try and cut a deal, that maybe it's just best to accept you're going to lose a really good player, but not to give up multiple assets to try and cover your the players that you want?
1: You know, Greg, what I believe is this. I believe that ultimately the, the Lightning will decide what's our cost, and are we going to pay it or not? Okay. And I, I think I think what it comes down to is that I, I think Tampa will will try to say we'd like to keep, for example, McDonough. And the one thing I will concede is you guys are closer to the situation than I am, and you you'll have a better feel for what Tampa may be thinking than I will. But I think what Tampa and a lot of other teams are going to say is okay, we've got we've got a limit here what's our limit how far are we willing to go you guys want a three-peat and i understand that you know mcdonough is signed for a while and he's a little bit older but after but i also think you guys are serious about three peating and you know i think mcdonough is a big part of that right now like if you're gambling are we gonna three peat or really go for a three peat? and i think you guys are i i think you feel a lot better about having ryan mcdonough in your lineup for next year um like to me the biggest like i look look at the reasons you guys won number one you're really good you got a lot of really good players and you develop really good players number two you guys are really smart you play smart hockey um you make it very like for all of the offensive talent you guys have and you have a lot you you're a great defensive team um, you, you 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 come back hard you back check hard you always seem to be in the right place you play high IQ hockey um, Like that's another reason you guys win but I think right after that is look how hard it is to score on you guys you have a, an unbelievable goalie and look at the defense you have like, like, like look how hard it is to score on them and with, if you don't have McDonough, the way he played this year, that's a big loss. Now, I'm not saying that Julian might not go out and find another way to replace it, but, you, you know, sometimes coaches talk about players for the con Smythe, and it's a lot of hot air. You know, Ryan McDonough, he didn't come close to winning it this year, but when John Cooper stood up and said, this guy deserves votes, he wasn't blowing smoke. Like, you guys saw how great he played.
0: Well, I want to go back to to your earlier response, Ellie, because it's interesting. The guys you mentioned—McDonough, Kalorn, Gord, Palat—like, you know, like the Lightning really want to keep these guys even after yeah. the expansion draft. Though the expectation is that the Lightning are going to have to find a way to shed some salary, and you would figure mm-hmm. that maybe one of those guys would would fall into that category. Are you are you feeling the Lightning? Want to protect those guys because they want to figure out a way to to keep them for next year or they want to protect them because they feel they can actually get assets back in a trade as opposed to losing one of those players for nothing in the expansion draft well I or do you think they can both, keep them all and not even deal?
1: ideally i think they'd like to keep everyone they can okay um you know like again you know let, let's talk about like calorn for a second um you know kalorin last year i have long believed that uh, there was something for kalorin like a deal there and you guys didn't want to do it but you realized you might had to do have to do it like first of all kalorin plays really hard he's a really good player secondly he's a huge part of the fabric of your team right like he like I don't know exactly what it's like behind the scenes, but he's kind of like the social convener, it looks like, from the outside, right? Like, I I think that's important. So he's a big part of the team, the way he plays, and his personality. And I've always suspected it was potentially Nashville, because if you'll remember last year, Nashville waited till very late to bring in Granlin and Halla, And you add those two salaries together, and it's a little bit more than what Killorn was making. But you guys held and held and held. And then when Kucherov was announced he couldn't play, OK, now we can keep Kalorn. So like to me, that says that Tampa will do what it takes to keep Kalorn there. Now, they might not be able to do it. But the fact is that um, I, I think I know how much you guys value him. And I think you guys know how much you guys value him. I mean the question is always Stamkos Um, you know last summer they went to him and they said to him would you be willing to move and he said no and you know that that's the one I've always kind of wondered does that ever change Um, you know I I obviously uh, Stamkos like it's kind of interesting how it's gone with Stamkos there the last few years I mean, I think you guys, when he was a free agent, you were preparing for him to leave. You didn't think that he would be back. And he's proven that he loves the area. He loves being a member of the Lightning. It's paid off handsomely for him in the fact that, you know, despite all his injuries, he's now the captain of a back-to-back Stanley Cup champion that's very meaningful for him. Um, Like, will it ever change? Will it ever be a situation where he's – willing to go somewhere else. And, you know, I, 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 I don't have any evidence that he does. Um, but if he ever did, um, that probably changes a lot of your equation.
2: Elliot Friedman joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Elliot, one last question on the Lightning roster for me and then some other things real quick. Uh, we know the Lightning are going to lose some players. I, I guess the question yeah. I have for you, how many? Is it five? Is it seven? Is it less? I'm not asking who, but if you had to yeah. guess, how many do you think are gone?
1: That's a great question, Greg. I mean, like, I guess it depends on what salary goes in the expansion draft or doesn't go in the expansion draft. Um, like the one, like the one thing is like so Minnesota the other day, they. They buy out Suter and Parise. And, you know, like there are guys, there's things you see coming in this league and you, you, there are things you don't see coming. And you look at a tweet announcing the news and, and you're like, is this a joke account? Like, you know, you, you sit there and you don't believe it actually happens. And that was one of those things yesterday. If you were to tell me that, like the one thing about the Lightning is, I, and I, the, the Lightning are ruthless about winning. And I say that as a compliment the everything the organization does is geared towards winning. Eisenman um, created that culture and Brise Bois has embraced it and he continues um, doing it his own way. Like I, I don't think he's an Eisenman clone. He's his own man and he does it his way, but he's very much like that too. If we get some holy smokes tweet about something that Tampa does. I mean you guys are there. Like would it would it surprise you? I I, it wouldn't surprise me. Like if if some move here comes out of left field that either that allows them to keep someone or bring in somebody else. Like like when I when I look at Tampa, I just I just know that they will do what it takes to win. So I, I I can't tell you how many players Greg but if, they, if something really surprising happened that allowed them to, uh, like, ice an, an unbelievable team or bring back some guys or go get somebody else, I think that's what they're going to do. I just think that's the way they're wired. They want a 3 p Like, some teams talk about, yeah, we'd love to 3 I I think this team is going to be driven to do it. I, I think they really love the challenge of how hard that is and the fact that Nobody has done that in 40 years. I I think they would love to be that team.
0: Elliot, what's the latest on the Olympics for next year? What are the challenges and and what is the likelihood that the players are going to get to go?
1: Well, I think that that what's going to happen here, guys, is we're going to get a schedule around the draft that's going to have the Olympics on it. But I think there's going to be like an escape clause where if things aren't good in China or anywhere really, in the weeks, months, days leading up to the Olympics, there's going to be a way not to go. You know, ever since before Game 1, the commissioner and the deputy commissioner came out and weren't that optimistic about going and obviously didn't like the idea of going. You know, you heard Hedman publicly, Connor McDavid publicly. They said, we want to go. And I know the Players Association has been canvassing players behind the scenes and the players won't back down on that. There's, I don't know if either of you guys have ever been to the Olympics, but there is definitely a power in the Olympic rings and being an Olympian and how meaningful it is to these people who compete. And I just think they're going to do everything possible to go. I think they're going to agree to go as long as the insurance gets paid for and everything gets paid for. Um, The players are going to have to accept the risk, the long-term COVID risk, just like the athletes there now are doing it. And, um, you know, we'll see. Um, I I think there's going to be an Olympics on the schedule, but I think there's going to be something in the deal that says if things are not safe or things are bad, um, we're not going.
2: To that point, Elliot, we're here with Elliot Friedman. Players accepting the risk, that's a big ask. But if that is the case, are there no more excuses then for heading into next season in terms of teams allowing full capacity in their arenas? Because your greatest assets are the players. If you're willing to risk it for them going over to the Olympics, I've got to think the owners have to look at this and say, all right, well, you know what? we should let everybody in and watch these games for next year for obvious reasons. Do you get the sense there's going to be some of that tug of war going on behind the scenes too?
1: Well, it's a good question, Greg. I hadn't really thought about it that way. I mean, look, I I, I think, you know, I have to say for me it was really weird going into a full arena for game five. I hadn't done that. I think think the last game I was at was the All-Star game in St. Louis. I can't remember if I was at one after that. It was a really weird feeling but i loved it i mean your crowd was wired that night and your fans clearly thought they were going to win like that was a confident crowd it was it was a crowd of we're winning the cup tonight and i loved it i realized how much i missed it it was so much fun so we're basically there already i, I mean the bigger question is if we're going to do it up in canada so i, I think you're going to see like you guys look around i know in florida you guys have been um, much more open than a lot of other places in North America. I-, I think the rest of the of the continent is just coming to the point where they're going to say, we're going to start making this work because the, the vaccines are available. And I just think at some point, it looks to me, and uh, I don't want to get into a big argument about this with people, but it just looks to me that people are reaching the point where they're saying, it's time to get back on with our lives. And um, uh, I-, I think we'll... I'm very curious to see what it's going to be like up here in Canada, but I think in the States we're definitely getting back to full arenas.
0: Last one for me, Elliot. Uh, The GMs had a meeting earlier this week, and one of the things that came up was potentially stricter enforcement, if that's the right way of putting it, on cross-checks. We saw the cross-check Kucherov took and had a rib fracture. And I'm not just singling out Lightning players who are cross-check here. It wasn't just them, but like Ruda took a cross-check to the face from Barzell and that Islander series. How can the league kind of make the rule stricter, if you will? Because penalties are in place. Like, what can they do to reduce the number of cross-checks and especially the number of cross-checks that inflict damage on the recipient?
1: Um, I think that one of the things that we're going to look at here, Dave, is, first of all, Like, I had a long conversation with some people in the league about cross-checking during the season. It was an issue here, particularly in Toronto, because of the way that Austin Matthews got defended in some games against uh, Montreal. And so, as you know, because it happens in Toronto, it's like a five-alarm fire. And then it kind of died down a bit, and basically until the playoffs, and especially that play with Kucherov and Scott Mayfield, and now we know that Kucherov was pretty seriously hurt. Um, and the way it was explained to me was you're always supposed to give more leeway in front of the net because you're supposed to allow people to battle. And there should be a difference between a, a push of a cross check to move somebody out of position and like a forceful push down that could potentially injure someone. That's kind of the way the standard is supposed to be. And I, I think what they're going to do is, I, I think they're just going to say, and I, I'm like, they're kind of talking about it now, I think they're just going to say if it's like a really hard push, it's a penalty. I think that's where we're probably potentially going to head to here. Um, you know, it was just, you know, one of the things, it's funny, I had a long conversation with a referee. And one of the, and we talked about that particular play and it wasn't the referee that was involved. It's, you know, Kucherov has a bit of a reputation. Like he felt really badly when he's, when he heard about what Kucherov's injury was, he reached out to me. And one of the things he said was, um, you know, Kucherov has a bit of a reputation as an embellisher and he thinks that that played a part in the non-call. And then when you hear what the injury is, you know, you feel terrible about it because you obviously should have made the call and it should have been a penalty and, but uh, he thinks what's going to happen is there's going to be much lower acceptance of what for lack of a better term, a legal cross check would be. And he said that that injury is probably going to lead a big change because they missed it and the guy got hurt. And whenever that happens, there's a change that usually comes.
2: That's an interesting point about the embellishments, because I think you could say that for a lot of stars, but I'm wondering if we're seeing a lot of embellishment, Elliot, because calls aren't made consistently. And I think that's been maybe the one bugaboo, especially in the playoffs where you want to swallow the whistle and say we're not impacting the game. But in reality, you are impacting the game, aren't you?
1: Yes, you are. And, you know, like, like, I, like, I, I know people hate this take from me, Greg. But I really believe the biggest change in the playoffs is not the referees. I think they're almost the same. I think the bigger change is the players. Like You can't play 28 playoff games like you play 82 regular season games. It's yes. just not humanly uh, possible for those guys to play the way in the regular season the way they do in the playoffs. Like. I mean, you guys have seen it, the, the, like, you saw how emotional Breezeball was talking about the injuries that some of those guys played through, right? Um, You know, you, you know, you can't do that all the time in the regular season. It's just over that span. It's just too hard. So I think what the players are willing to play through and what the players are willing to do to each other, it really lifts. And. You know, certain guys have reputations. If you're on the diving list or you get fined for diving, you know, one guy I, I really think that affected his career at the end was Thomas Plakanic from Montreal and eventually Toronto. I, I think there were players out there um, who I definitely saw, and he was one of them, who didn't get calls. And, you know, I, like, like if you look at the Weber got fined in the Stanley Cup Finals for his slash on Kucherov, and people were furious about that one because they thought Kucherov dove but because they missed that one in the regular in the Islanders series you know I think they they I think they like, like I said I spoke to this one ref he said yeah. they felt terrible when they heard about the injury but they just felt like his history was that way and I think certain guys get um, I think certain guys get that label and it definitely affects the way the calls get made on them. But look, like Scott Mayfield is a big, strong guy. He hit him really hard there. And it should have been a penalty. But, right. you know, sometimes these things get mixed and all you can try to do is make sure things change for the future.
2: Elliot, this was a lot of fun. I know you're extremely busy, particularly in the offseason here when things are really going to be picking up. Thank you for taking some time here in Tampa Bay to talk about the Lightning and the league and let people know where... They can listen to your outstanding podcast that you do. I know uh, a lot of people here in Tampa love listening to it and just uh, the latest on your work and where people can check it out.
1: Well, you know, I have to tell you, like I have, a, I have a couple. Like I grew up in Toronto, so I have some friends who are huge Leaf fans, and they, whenever they have never forgiven Dave for that call a few years ago when the <laughs> when the Lightning knocked the Maple Leafs out of the playoffs. So whenever I go on this podcast, I send a uh, link to all my buddies and they go and they li- they get mad at me. Like they call I me and it. they're like, "I can't believe you went on with that guy again. And I you think I'm wasting 30 seconds listening to this guy who, 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 who shoveled dirt on us when we were down. You, you're kidding yourself. So, you know, I, first of all, I'm happy to come on. Like, you know, like... like. It, I don't even amazing, remember that you know, call. What, what, I grew,
0: what? What's that? I don't even remember the call you're referencing.
1: We're
2: going to find it. I guess that's how oh, insignificant it was for it, me.
1: It, you got, you, I, I feel you badly, guys, though. I think you beat someone and, and the least got knocked out of the playoffs or whatever it was. I can't remember what year it was. But my buddies, they, 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 first, and I'm happy to come on because Tampa's a... A great team and a big part of the league and you know you guys have like it's amazing i grew up in a in a 21 team league and now it's soon to be 32 and you know what you guys have done down there with both your fans and your organization it's a huge part of the league so i'm happy to do it
2: well we're happy to have you on anytime and uh keep up the great work and we'll talk to you down the road and hopefully those maple leafs fans will listen to dave a little bit more (laughs) (laughs) all right guys take care all right, that was Elliot Friedman from a couple of days ago from Sportsnet. It's always fun to uh, get somebody like him to come on our show, and we appreciated that a great deal. Dave, just a reminder for everybody, Matt Larkin from the Hockey News had this um, tweet, and it's, it's I think, a good synopsis of what to expect here in the next five or six days. So Saturday, you've got the protected list due. Sunday, July 18th, the protected lists are made public. From the 18th to the 20th, Seattle has the UFA negotiation window. And then Wednesday, July 21st, is the actual expansion draft. So that kind of gives people an idea yep. of what to expect here coming up here in the next few days. I This is going to be a big weekend because it's going to get the ball rolling on, on who's exposed and who's not. Yeah, and then the
0: other end of the week I guess we'll look ahead to the draft which is coming up next weekend right yeah the entry draft and then unrestricted free agency begins shortly thereafter so it's always a busy stretch right at the end of the season and then things kind of settle down for what is typically a longer offseason this year is going to be a shorter off season, which will have challenges for the Lightning and for the Canadians too Trying to bounce Agreed. back after a shorter off season. Wow, well, and
2: Shea Weber, right? Is Shea Weber going to play? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, that's unfortunate. He's got. Some we talk about
0: injuries. Incredible resiliency on the part of the Lightning players who played through injuries. I mean, Shea Weber may not be able to play again. Yeah, his injuries are that bad. That's the report, and he was able
2: to to play every game right in the playoffs from Montreal. He was, and I didn't pick up on it, but I guess after Game Five. Elliot Friedman had the story. Speaking of Elliot, that a lot of the Canadian players <laughs> went up to Weber, uh, who was obviously pretty emotional, but he was trying to put two and two together that maybe they knew that this guy was playing through so much pain that this might yeah. be it. You know, they kind of wanted to go up to him and, and say, "Look, we appreciate what you do," and um, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. Talking about salary cap implications there for a couple of different teams for sure. All right, partner, great job this week. It was a lot of fun, and uh, this weekend should be interesting, and we'll be back at it again on Monday.
0: Yeah, we can certainly get into the protected list for the Lightning yep. and other teams, too. No doubt. Because, be like of you fun. said, that comes out on Sunday.
2: Yep. All right, that is Dave Michigan. Thanks to Steve Ersnick as well and all the guests we had this week, and obviously you guys for listening. We always appreciate it. I am Greg Linelli. Have a great weekend, everybody. You've been listening to Lightning Power Play.